Good morning and welcome to the podcast. I'm Karen Weaver. The American Rivers Conference, a Division III conference located smack in the middle of the country, waited until mid-August to make the decision to postpone most of their fall sports, including football, men's and women's soccer, and volleyball. The conference does intend to go forward with many seasons of fall competition in women's and men's cross country, women's golf, and women's tennis. In its press release, the ARC stated the NCAA Board of Governors put new mandates in its, quote, resocialization of college sport, unquote, plan, the most concerning of which was the requirements to test frequently with short windows for test results in several sports. Prior to Friday's announcement, the NCAA's member schools had the latitude to use local and state guidelines in their approach to safely practice and compete in the fall. My guest today is Dr. Darren Good. He is currently the chair of the American Rivers Conference President's Council. He's also the president at Nebraska Wesleyan University. He joined the university as its first time president after a long career as a biology professor at Augustana College in Illinois and administrative positions at Gustavus Adolphus College in Minnesota and then at Whittier College in California. He has served as a Vice President of Academic Affairs and Dean of the Faculty at Whittier, one of the country's most ethnically and racially diverse private national liberal arts colleges with an enrollment of 1,700 students. As I said, this is his first presidency and guess what? He was in charge of the new athletic conference as well and in the middle of a pandemic. And Darren, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. So what a time to begin your very first presidency. And you've told me that you've been a Division Three person most of your academic life. Tell us what it's been like and what you've learned so far. Uh, and I assume you mean in the last year uh, as yes. president? Okay, yes. yes. Uh, well, I, again, I guess uh, to, to lay the foundation, uh, I've been at four other Division three schools, uh, both as a student at Augustana College. I, uh, I shared with you I was a, a good uh, high school triple jumper and a really mediocre to weak uh, college uh, triple jumper, uh, but did participate in some varsity athletics and then uh, at other Division three schools. So I, I believe deeply in how important uh, athletics is to schools like ours. It's been really fun to be uh, on this side as a president who just is a passionate champion of uh, NCAA athletics. Uh, it's been really fun to be able to meet with coaches and our athletic director and show them my support and then work with other presidents uh, in our conference. That's great. Um... Just tell us a little about Nebraska Wesleyan. I mean, probably most of my listeners have never been there. So what should we know? That's right. Uh, so Nebraska Wesleyan is uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska. So there's a uh, here in the same city as University of Nebraska with Husker uh, Athletics. Uh, and uh, we're about 1,600 uh, traditional undergraduates, about 2,100 total uh, with our graduate and adult programs uh, have uh, Oh boy, I should know it's 18 uh, uh, different sports represented. Uh, most recent uh, enormous success, we won the national championship in basketball in 2013, men's basketball, but uh, have a lot of really strong athletic uh, traditions here. 
That's terrific. What percentage of your athlete population is, is your student population comprised of? It's a great question. It's about 30 to 35% in a given year. So uh, I, I like to remind people, not only is that a, a significant number in, in itself, you know, having a third of our students uh, participating in varsity athletics, what we often see in our admission pool that, that more like 50% of our students coming here in the admission, uh, that, that pay tuition deposits, think they're going to be varsity athletes. And so it is really important for schools like ours that we understand the, the, the holistic experience that our students are looking for, whether it's keeping athletics uh, part of their life alive or music or theater or, or other things. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty significant amount. So obviously this decision uh, that the American Rivers Conference needed to come to a decision on in mid-August was a difficult one. And you found yourself sitting in the chair uh, of the council uh, in, your, in your first full year. Uh, tell us about what that was like uh, and how is the council constructed? Yeah, so the, there are nine teams in the athletic conference. The other uh, eight schools are all in the state of Iowa. And here we are just about 45 miles from the uh, Iowa border where we sit. Um, I was told when I accepted the job that it was actually Nebraska Wesleyan's turn to have the president serve as uh, the uh, chair of the president's council, as we call it here. Uh, they were generous to me, and, and the person sitting in the role agreed to stay on for a second year, uh, President Buena Vista uh, in Iowa. Um, he then uh, uh, decided to uh, resign his position in May, so I actually got thrown into this uh, a couple months earlier than expected. And uh, so, but I knew it was coming. It just came a few months earlier in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, is that all, right? <laughs> well, obviously, uh, it took a while for the conference to make their final decision about fall sports. Walk us through, first off, what you decided, and then start to tell us about how you weighed all the internal and external factors that went into that. Yeah, so the, the President's Council has been meeting a lot throughout the spring and summer, virtually, of course, uh, via Zoom. Uh, but at the same time, we've had uh, task forces of, uh, of athletic directors, coaches, and uh, athletic trainers meeting to work on protocols and plans and uh, develop uh, different schedules to reduce travel and, uh, uh, and such. A as we went through the summer and the pandemic continued, uh, we were working really closely, watching what the NCAA was asking of us uh, in their uh, resocialization uh, uh, documents. Throughout the summer, they continued to say uh, it, these are recommendations, not mandates. And what we believed was uh, was right was we should really be localized in our decision making. So. We felt very strongly that Iowa and Nebraska had very low infection rates. We seemed to, to be in a place geographically where we could continue to safely lean into uh, all of our athletic sports for the fall. Uh, knowing there was some additional risk, but not a, as significant amount of risk. As the summer progressed, a couple of things happened. One, you know, the COVID cases, as everybody's seen, are start, were starting to tick up in the Midwest, uh, 
particularly in Iowa, Omaha in this state. Uh, but at the same time, the NCAA uh, started sending us some pretty strong messages uh, in August, uh, late May or late June, I'm sorry, late July and early August that these recommendations are really mandates and it's not the localized health departments that we should be paying attention to. They, they really forced our hand to, uh, to, to cancel or not cancel, I'm sorry, postpone football, uh, men's and women's soccer and volleyball to the spring. You know, that's one of the, the um, uh, people have struggled with the fact that the NCAA for so long has only issued guidelines for health and safety historically and then all of a sudden as you said quickly it made it clear that it was becoming a mandate for division three and for much of division two as well right. um was that was that decision well received by the council or were you removing so quickly that you just said okay fine <laughs> I, I, I i'll choose my words carefully okay <laughs> simply said it was not received uh, well. Okay. Uh, we, some presidents more than others. I, I think some felt like where they were geographically or where what was happening locally uh, that maybe they felt like this is, is just making a decision that probably needed to be made. Uh, I think that there, as you can expect in nine schools, there was a continuum of opinions uh, on how strongly we felt we should uh, go this route. But in the end, we were at consensus that uh, we really were left uh, uh, feeling that the NCAA was mandating that we needed to uh, cancel all of the, uh, <clears throat> the high-risk contact sports uh, or postpone them, that is. Right. Um, and, and I'll say that I think some of it was just different levels of risk tolerance at different schools. And some, it was the, the local geography of uh, COVID. And yeah. I, some of us really felt like we were in a uh, place where a few of our students come from outside the state. In, in our case, uh, about 20%, well, less than 20% of our Nebraska Wesleyan students come from outside of Nebraska. So the infection rate in the state is low and we knew most of our students were likely to come back without infection and that's born out uh, in our in our testing so far no kidding so, yeah. so where when they come from outside where do they typically come from do they come from iowa or do they come from other uh, nearby states fewer in iowa uh that, that even though uh, we get a good number but uh, our big draw are from uh, the state of colorado and the kansas city area um, part of it is uh, if students want to play ncaa sports uh, iowa's got so many great schools uh, eight of them that I'll really brag about uh, in our conference. <laughs> but Colorado, other than uh, there's only one or two Division three NCAA schools. Uh, so there aren't a lot of small colleges uh, for students to uh, athletes to keep their uh, careers going. So we have had really good success there. But also, uh, so, so the contiguous states, Iowa, South Dakota, uh, Missouri, Kansas, um, but also Texas and California have been some of the areas that we draw from. So let's, let's uh, dive a little bit deeper into Lincoln. Since you are sharing the city with the big University of Nebraska, how much were your efforts and thinking tied into what was inevitably going to come back to campus, which was students returning at the UN at the University of Nebraska Lincoln? How does that go? Well, it, what's wonderful is 
the city of Lincoln has just been fantastic, aggressively uh, mandating masks in, in a way that the culture here shifted much faster than uh, certainly uh, the, the rest of the state of Nebraska and Iowa. Um, uh, neither governor in Iowa or Nebraska would uh, mandate a mask requirement. Fortunately, the city of Lincoln and uh, did so. And so we continued to have very low infection rates, uh, little uh, stress on our hospital systems. So I often would thank our mayor and our local uh, uh, health uh, department at setting the stage for us to be able to welcome students back. Now, I, I know that was in part, you know, because they love Nebraska Wesleyan, but I would, I say that facetiously. We know the city of Lincoln and the state of Nebraska loves Husker athletics and sport, uh, Husker football is, is nearly a religion. And therefore, it's not just a cultural piece of uh, importance here in Lincoln and in Nebraska, it's an enormous financial driver. So I, I, I'm sure the mayor and the county health department were doing uh, it for the good reasons, the right reasons, but an added benefit, of course, was to help feed the economy because being able to get back to Husker athletics and particularly football and volleyball are the two uh, draws for tourism is really important for the culture and economy of the city. That makes total sense. So uh, here we are near the end of August. Just give me a quick snapshot. Where are you with your students in terms of return to campus and where is the University of Nebraska Lincoln in terms of their return? Right, so uh, here at Nebraska Wesleyan, we are in the middle of our second week of classes. So uh, student athletes though returned about three weeks ago, some of them. Um, we uh, began testing them about 10 days ago. Uh, we've tested about 600 of our 1600 students, all of our student athletes uh, for all the seasons, uh, including uh, winter and spring sports have been tested uh, with a very low infection rate, less than 2%. Uh, and so we've uh, been able to identify, uh, you know, those students, isolate them in uh, on-campus uh, housing, or they can go home if that's what they prefer, and then did quick contact tracing and have put several uh, uh, dozen students in quarantine, uh, who are all, almost all of those students are about to come out of quarantine today or tomorrow. Um, the problem was it wasn't, uh, the infection certainly came with them, it's interesting, the, the spread or the quarantine was less to do with athletics. Uh, it was their social connections uh, to the Greek system. So uh, uh, mostly some sororities uh, that had uh, uh, an infected person that caused the quarantine. So, so that's where we are at Nebraska Wesleyan. University of Nebraska also started classes about 10, 11 days ago, but they had a week of online classes. They just came back to in-person classes uh, blended model uh, on Monday of this week, so three days ago. Okay, so you're fully in person, right? Does anybody have the opportunity to, to zoom in if they wanted to zoom in? Could they do that? Great question, absolutely. So uh, being as we have such nice small class sizes to begin with, uh, we were able to have many of our classes still uh, fully face-to-face. Uh, However, we prepared every class, uh, uh, every faculty member prepared their courses in the event that students might have to miss because of isolation or quarantine, 
or if the class was so big, uh, big enough that we couldn't have desks separated by six feet and still fit everybody, then uh, students would usually still be uh, involved in every class session. You either attend in person or you Zoom in simultaneously. And so students would sometimes, they'll come to class Monday, Zoom in Wednesday, come to class Friday, Zoom in the next Monday, et cetera. However, students who have health uh, concerns could uh, completely go online or Zoom in uh, and, and do uh, virtual courses uh, exclusively. And the same with our faculty. There's a few who have accommodations, but, but very few uh, who are doing all virtual courses. It's certainly been challenging. There's, there's absolutely no doubt about that. Now you, you, you have a couple of sports that are actually competing this fall. Tell us, tell us how that's been going and then also kind of what the structure looks like for them. Yeah, uh, it's exciting. So we are, uh, uh, again, for those who aren't aware, there's three different levels. There's a high contact risk sports, uh, football, soccer, uh, and uh, volleyball for the fall. Uh, there's low contact risk, which is tennis and golf. And then there's middle risk uh, or medium risk, which is uh, cross country, at least for our sports. We made the decision as a conference, uh, again, because of our low infection rate and because the NCAA kind of called it a, a medium risk with an asterisk, uh, meaning if you could find a way to accommodate it and, and decrease the risk at the beginning and end of the race in particular, they thought it could move to a low risk sport. So we are, uh, I'm excited because uh, we have a great golf team, men's and women's. We just uh, have resurfaced some new tennis courts. And so we're gonna, was gonna break my heart uh, having a daughter who played some college tennis to uh, not be able to use those courts. So we are having uh, uh, the women's tennis and the men have a few meets, uh, but cross country, I just, checked in with our athletic director before I uh, got on this blog, uh, blog conversation to make sure, or podcast that is, uh, I understood how we were going to do cross country. Yeah, yeah. So um, will you compete uh, around when are you starting your competitions? First week in September, second uh, week in September? Second week, yeah, second week of September. Okay, and you'll go until end of October, I assume? Are you going to go that I long? It may, yeah, it may go that long. Uh, there's yeah. fewer um, competitions. Uh, most uh, conferences either have canceled or postponed their seasons or have uh, at least reduced their non-conference uh, matches. So, Right, right. So um, just one other question about your, your colleagues in the conference. Do they share a similar percentage of athlete, athletes as part of the student population are they in the same ballpark as you in that 30 to 35 percent range yes I, I don't have that uh, uh in my mind for sure but i would guess 25 to 40 percent range is is probably going to encapsulate just about all of them okay and and your sense is right now when will the conference start discussing the fall seasons transitioning to the spring seasons it's already begun uh, and so we're already starting to look at uh, uh, schedules for the fall, when, when those might be. And uh, it, one of the difficulties is going to be uh, the, the facilities, the stress on facilities. Uh, schools like ours don't have dedicated uh, fields for soccer and football and track and field. So there's a lot of shared um, uh, facilities that are going to be tough. The other piece of it is the pressure on athletic trainers. 
having more seasons uh, or more sports in the same season is going to really stress us. So we're all working on trying to find uh, uh, extra staffing, which we've already done for our athletic training so that we have the support for the athletes we need. And then finally, uh, we haven't, uh, haven't heard any challenges here, but we are expecting uh, one of the difficulties might be the officiating. So many uh, referees uh, do different seasons and different times of the year. And so whether or not that's going to uh, start to be difficult to uh, schedule. Yeah, uh, that makes a lot of sense. I would think also, and this is getting into the weeds because of my background as a coach and an athletic director, but, you know, just the space in the athletic training room, you know, you're not used to having football in the spring and baseball and all the other larger teams that, that need to get through there so they can get out to the field. That's got to be tough. Exactly. And many of our schools, uh, at least we can say this way, we have been wanting to get a bigger uh, AT uh, area. So it was small, smaller than we'd like to begin with. And so, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. How do we not only, not only uh, increase the capacity because we have more athletes, but also increase the capacity because we need to possibly stay six feet away and really protect each other. It's a great point. It's a great point. <clears throat> so pulling back a little bit, let's talk about Nebraska Wesleyan's strategy to survive as an institution, this pandemic, and also the demographic shifts that are coming up in the next four or five years. Right. So we're very fortunate, uh, again, uh, uh, very conservative Nebraskans uh, fiscally as well as uh, other ways. And so they uh, have uh, been very careful with our money. Uh, we just built a beautiful new science building that costs almost $30 million, didn't borrow a penny. They raised every cent of it, including extra to pay for uh, department or maintenance. And so we have very little debt load. Uh, we're fortunate too that our, our students uh, showed up and so we had very little melt uh, this year. Uh, we are, are very blessed in that regard. I know a lot of schools, uh, especially those depending on international students, uh, have really been hit hard. But um, us as a, an institution, Nebraska Wesleyan, are in great shape. Uh, we feel really good. We had to tighten our belt uh, as we readjusted our budget in the spring leading into this year. Uh, but right now, uh, if things continue to hold and, uh, uh, we feel good that it's going to be a, a fine year and we're going to come out of this in great shape down the road, as you said, uh, the, as some are calling it the, uh, the admission cliff that's coming in, you know, three to seven years, uh, with the number of high school graduates declining. Uh, fortunately, uh, Nebraska is one of the areas, uh, that has very little decline, uh, uh expected. Uh, just a few percentage decreases. Now there's a, and that's where, again, this year of our first year class, 80% of our first year students are from Nebraska. Uh, so it's been anywhere from uh, uh, 75% uh, to 85% of our students come from Nebraska over the last 10 years. And so this is our sweet spot. This is where most of our students come from. And there's not going to be a significant decline in high school graduates. However, we know other states are going to come looking for students here. And we do, we are working to prepare for the changing demographics, even though the number of high school graduates is uh, not going to decline significantly. There is going to be major shifts in uh, the race ethnicity with growing Latino and Latinx population. 
and uh, lower socioeconomic uh, factors. So we know it's going to be a different group of high school graduates uh, that we see in the next five to 10 years. And, and so uh, we already serve uh, about 30% of our students are Pell eligible uh, at Nebraska Wesleyan. We actually were just ranked third in the country for private, small private schools for uh, socioeconomic mobility or economic mobility of our students uh, when they graduate. So it, it, we're already serving uh, the students that I think are going to be continuing to graduate from our high schools. That's really tremendous. And you're absolutely right to identify that the, the demographic shift is not going to happen just with your in-state residents, but also across racial, gender, gender and socioeconomic lines. And uh, I have a colleague at Penn who wrote a book called Mission Centered and Market Smart. And it sounds like that's what exactly what you're trying to do is, is to talk about what is your mission and what do we want to be? We're not trying to be anything that we're not. And we're also trying to be smart about a marketplace. Yeah. But we also know that, that we are continuing to grow and we're making uh, enormous efforts to be even more than just welcoming, but uh, the NCAA I see is starting to use the same language I've been promoting. We're going to have a campaign of belonging. This idea that it's not enough just to be welcoming to a diverse group of students, faculty, and staff because by definition, a welcoming environment means there's those of us who belong here that already were here and we're gonna welcome those of you who don't really belong or are new to this. So we want it to feel like no matter who you are, how you identify, that you get here and you feel like you belong. You're not an outsider who's being welcomed. Yeah. And so uh, that's, I think, essential for us to continue to grow as an institution. I think you're absolutely right on that. I think that's a really good um, nuance in the word shift and helping people understand that we all belong here and it's we're not us and them, it's all of us. That's yeah. great. So many of our listeners uh, aspire to become college presidents at some point in their careers. Um, what advice would you give them to build their learning curve around college athletics oversight and how, the, how it is public facing as one of your visible entities of your college campus community? I, well, for me, it, it began uh, as just an honest passion. I grew up playing sports, uh, you know, in, in small high school, football, basketball, and track. Continued to play uh, basketball and tennis. Uh, uh, still try to get out there and play tennis badly and basketball when my knees allow. <laughs> So I think engaging with athletics. As a professor, I loved uh, being part of the recruiting process. Uh, so uh, working with athletics, if they had a recruit, I would show them the biology labs, take them into our cadaver lab, and really learn to work with the coaches on how they saw how Division Three athletics fit in with not only the admission, but how the retention and creating successful student-athletes who become fantastic alumni. Right. So I think uh, I was uh, involved in uh, different committees that worked on athletics uh, and part of our strategic planning at one time. I, I volunteered or maybe was volunteered to be on uh, uh, part of the, uh, the pillars for uh, athletics in our strategic planning when I was a professor. I, I just continued to try to work closely with the coaches. I think uh, going to sporting events, getting to know your student athletes so you can be sensitive to the challenges, uh, especially division three, uh, 
they're, they're not doing it for the glory uh, of, uh, or the, you know, a possible, uh, they're not doing it for a scholarship, so not money here and now. There's not a pro career at the end. They really are doing it because they love doing it. And um, so the sacrifices they're making just because they simply love playing their sport, yeah. I think, um, it helps you under, empathize with them and start to empathize with the coaches who also don't do it for the money in Division Three. Um, yeah, that's absolutely true as well. Well, and Dr. Darren Good, thank you so much for spending some time with both me and my listeners to talk about the unique situation that Nebraska Wesleyan is in, in this era of beginning the fall 2020 term under COVID-19. So thank you. My pleasure. It, it, it's a joy to be with you. And I think we all are praying and hoping for uh, athletics to come back so we can stop watching tiddlywinks on TV <laughs> and other kind of sporting events. Or cornhole, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> My knees will let me play that. There you go. There you go. Thanks, Darren. Thank you so much, Karen.